You're listening to the Victory Church Podcast. Here at Victory, we are called to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world for Jesus. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. What if when you prayed, you received more of God's love, more of his peace, more of his power? Maybe it's time to raise your expectations. Well, hello, everybody. I want to welcome everybody who's here in the room with me today and also everyone who is watching online. I believe God wants to do something really special in each one of your lives, and I believe that he's going to raise your expectations, and we want God to raise our expectations with regard to the ordinary, to the ordinary practice of prayer. We're talking about prayer in this series, Raise Your Expectations. Last week, we talked about the choice between family dinner and a family trip to Disney World. Now, if you had a choice between going to Disney World or another family meal with Hamburger Helper, you would choose Disney World. Of course you would. But the reality for family health, family well-being is that the regular, ordinary practice of meals together leads to much longer-term well-being than an occasional trip to Disney World. Go to Disney World, but also make regular family dinners a part of your everyday, ordinary life. And there is a spiritual application for that to prayer. Because a lot of times we want those Disney World type spiritual experiences. We want the mountaintop experiences. We want to experience the glory and the power of God in spectacular ways. I believe God put that in us. And that's been a high motivation for my my spiritual journey over the last several years. But we have to realize that as much as we desire those spiritual Disney World moments, and I'm just being, you know, figurative there, as much as we desire those mountaintop spectacular spiritual experiences, what's really beneficial for our spiritual lives is the everyday practice of just daily meals with God, receiving our daily bread from Him, the daily manna from God as members of the family of God. Now, somebody commented to me this past week, well, you know, we at Victory Church, we're not an extremely experiential church in the sense that we're not quite as wild as we have been in previous days. Uh, we, we, we don't have quite as much spiritual craziness going on as we might have at some point. So, you know, the, the statement was made that, well, we're not in real danger here at Victory Church of uh, being too experiential. And I agree. It's true. It's not a danger. It's nothing that I'm concerned about. But I do have a concern. My concern is that, you know, we need more experience. We need more of the supernatural. We need more of, I think, high-level spiritual 
activity in our midst. We need more people to experience God in a deeper way. And I would even say more people to experience God in some pretty fantastic ways that would be more of an equivalent to a Disney World spiritual experience than a hamburger helper kind of spiritual experience. I think we need more of that. But here's what I think can happen. We are a church that is very open to spiritual experience. I talk about my spiritual experiences quite frequently, and I've had a few high-level mountaintop experiences, and a whole lot of people at Victory Church have had some high-level mountaintop experiences. A lot of people have had many more of those kinds of experiences than I have, and there's enough of a talk of an awareness around here that I believe it's really possible that a lot of people hearing about that might begin to think, well, my common, everyday, hamburger, helper kind of experience with God doesn't count for very much. That's my concern, that too many people would think that my ordinary, low-level, daily experience with God doesn't really count. And it counts more than we can imagine. It really does count. I also have a concern about this, and this is something we read in a book that our church staff was reading just recently, that in our culture, there's a bias against the ordinary. We don't like ordinary. In our thinking, ordinary is not ordinary. In our thinking, ordinary is bad. <laughs> Nobody wants to just be ordinary, you know, and we even say things in Christian circles like God did not create you to be ordinary. And we say, yes, that's true. God did not create you to be ordinary. I do believe that in so many ways, but here's the problem or the danger with that. If we dismiss ordinary daily bread from God, sometimes we're going to miss out on the extraordinary that God often brings to those who are committed to the ordinary. And I want more extraordinary, and I can tell you it's only going to come when we can really appreciate and adhere to, stick to, devote ourselves to the ordinary walk with God that Christians all over the world are experiencing on a daily basis. And the Bible is actually full of examples of people who just were committed to God with a very ordinary daily approach to prayer that on occasion would display, would just break forth with the spectacular display of God's saving power, his miracle power, his glory. And I want you to experience more of that, and it will only come when we properly appreciate and devote ourselves to an ordinary walk with Jesus, and we don't dismiss it as, oh, that's just ordinary. That's just hamburger helper. By the way, hopefully if you're having daily family meals, it's a lot more healthy than hamburger helper every day. <laughs> one, of the, one of the most famous stories in the Bible is the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Anybody heard that story? You know that story, Daniel and the lion's den? Well, let me ask you specifically, what got Daniel in trouble so that his king threw him in the lion's den? What did he do? What did he not do? What specifically caused Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den? Was it that Daniel refused to bow down to the idols? No, that wasn't the issue. 
He didn't bow down to idols, but that wasn't the issue that got him thrown into the lion's den. Is, that he, is it that he refused to pray to King Darius in keeping with the decree that Darius had made? That's getting close, but specifically that's not true. The thing that specifically landed Daniel in the lion's den is that he maintained his regular habit of prayer to God three times a day. <laughs> that was it. That's what got him in trouble, regular, ordinary prayer. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10 says this, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, the decree to worship nobody else, no God, no other king, nobody but Darius for 30 days. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. Daniel did not start praying when Darius issued his decree. Darius did not begin praying as a protest against Darius's decree. Daniel only did what he always did. He prayed three times a day to the Lord. And then when he needed a miracle, guess what happened? God gave him a miracle. God shut the mouths of the lions. Daniel got the miracle because he was committed to daily prayer to God. Now, I know it's the daily prayer that got him in the spot where he needed a miracle. <laughs> and, and, and hopefully our daily prayers will get us into a spot where miracles happen without the threat of a lion eating us. But I do also absolutely believe that it's Daniel's connection with God and the way that he had developed it over the course of years of praying daily to God, three times a day, just that normal, everyday pattern that belonged to the people of Israel that brought about the miracle. And I, I say this is a pattern that belonged to Israel because this pattern did not begin with Daniel. It didn't. King David followed this pattern. David, the greatest king of Israel, in Psalm 55, it's a psalm that David wrote as a lament. He's crying out in anguish. He is in trouble. He is in deep despair before the Lord. And verses 4 and 5 kind of give us a little taste of the despair being expressed in this psalm. Psalm 55, 4 and 5, David says, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Anybody despaired to the point where, you know, it's just like, you, just feel, you can just feel death closing in on you? That was David. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. How many of you can agree that's a pretty bad spot for David to be in? But then, in the midst of that despair and anguish, David has hope. Why does he have hope? He has hope because he knows that God will hear and answer his prayers. Folks, we have hope because we know that God will hear and answer our prayers. Well, how can we know that? We know that 
by putting it into practice before we get to that place of despair, before we get to that place where it feels like death is crushing in on us, before that we develop a habit, a regular daily prayer, and in the pattern of the people of Israel, multiple times a day of prayer, and that will build our confidence Then, when we're in trouble, when we're in the lion's den, when we're being pressed on every side, that our God is going to hear and answer our prayers. Here's the hope David expresses in this same psalm, verses 16 and 17. He says, as for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. I call to God, and the Lord saves me. I hope that you can have that confidence right now, that you cry to God, and he saves you. And then he says, he says this in the next verse, evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. I'm in distress, and I cry out, and God hears. God hears. And the people of God know that when God hears, God responds. God answers, as he's already said. Notice that David is praying, how? Evening, morning, and noon. Now, that sounds like it's a little bit out of order for us Americans, right? Evening, morning, and noon? Well, he prays that way because the Jewish day does not start with sunrise. The Jewish day starts at sunset. That's why the Sabbath begins on Friday at sunset. So David prays three times a day. Huh. Daniel prayed how many times a day? Three times a day. It was usual. It was a pattern. David is not praying three times a day because he's in distress. He's praying three times a day because that is the pattern of prayer for the people of Israel. Starting with evening, that's how the day starts. By the way, this is a little sidebar. We work all day, and then we end our day with rest. In the Jewish pattern, you begin your day with rest, and you work out of that place of rest with the Lord. It's a lot better. Think about it. But that's kind of a side. But we see a pattern here with both David and Daniel of prayer three times a day. And, you know, this is the pattern of the people of Israel. Let me ask you this. Would it be a surprise to you to find out that the early church also maintained this pattern into New Testament times? Would it be a surprise? It shouldn't be much of a surprise. Look at what you see before Pentecost. This is before the Spirit is poured out on the early church. Acts chapter 1. This is when Jesus had died, he had raised from the dead. He had, at this point, ascended into heaven. And it says in verse 14, with regard to the about 120 people who remained, followers of Jesus, they all joined together constantly in prayer. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, what does it mean that they joined constantly in prayer? It could mean that they prayed 24 hours a day. It could mean that. And, you know, if they did pray that way, that would have been great. But more than likely, what Luke is pointing out to is the fact that the early church, while they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on them, continued the practice of regular three-time at least 
a day prayer before the Lord. They were just regular, they, they were just doing what Jewish people do who want to get close to God and submit their lives to God. They're doing what Jewish people might be expected to do when they've been told to wait for power from God, and that is they set aside specific times of prayer. They were engaging something in something very ordinary in Jewish religious life. The early church was doing this, engaging in something very ordinary in Jewish, Jewish religious life. And here's an example of just going about doing the ordinary and then all of a sudden God infusing it with something spectacular. Huh. What happened? Well, on the day of Pentecost, another one of those many days after the 40 or 50 days since Jesus was, uh, was uh, buried and had risen from the dead and ascended, this happened on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, beginning with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Suddenly. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Notice that word, suddenly. They were involved in the ordinary, and then God broke through with a suddenly kind of experience. And I believe a lot of times we are missing out on some suddenlies from heaven, suddenlies from the Spirit of God, because we have not given God just that ordinary time where we're ready, where we're expected, where we're expressing our devotion to the Lord. See, this is one of those suddenlies that in, in some ways to our American eyes, it can look like an overnight success. Does anybody ever know anybody who had an overnight success? Our worship pastor, Pastor Steve, lived in Nashville for about 18 years. He probably met some overnight successes. But if you know any overnight success, success stories, chances are you also know that it wasn't really overnight that there was a lot of groundwork that was laid. There was a lot of sacrifice, a lot of devotion, a lot of attention just to the ordinary things that might need to be done in order to one day have a breakthrough. And the suddenly breakthrough comes with attention to the ordinary, just applying themselves to prayer in a regular way. And so uh, that morning, the morning of Pentecost, the early church was just doing something very usual, very everyday, something that was a reflection of a normal pattern of prayer, of set times of prayer a day. Now, how do I know that this was the early church devoting themselves to a set time of prayer? Well, we know it from Peter, because in Acts chapter 2, verse 15, after everybody joined with all the you know, the tumult that had broken forth and they had heard people speaking and praising God in all the different languages represented by the Jewish people who had been scattered all over the world, you know, and, and a lot of people were saying they're, they're all drunk. And, and, and Peter gets up in Acts 2, 15, 2, 15 says, these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Now that's significant. That's not just, you know, Peter saying, well, it's too early to get drunk. That's part of it, but part of it is, is Peter giving a recognition that this is a regular time 
for the people of Israel to join together in prayer. That might have been a reason why so many people were at the temple location at that particular time as well. It was a regular time of prayer. Wow. So the early church did this, and God blessed it. He infused it with power, and we celebrate it as the day of Pentecost when the church was born at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That happened at a time of regular prayer. And so now the church is filled with the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, right? The church has been born, birthed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit's poured out on all flesh. We all have access to the presence of God living in us. We no longer need set times of prayer, right? So the early church gave up on that, right? Wrong. The early church stayed committed to these patterns of prayer after Pentecost. How do I know that? Luke tells us in Luke chapter 3, go to the next chapter of Luke, verse 1. We have the first miracle that the apostles worked after the day of Pentecost. This is it. How does it happen? Verse 1 of Acts 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple. When? At the time of prayer. At 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When did this happen? It happened at what Luke says is the time of prayer, a set time of prayer. See, just because they were now filled with the Spirit and obviously led by the Spirit, obviously in touch with the Spirit of God, that doesn't mean that the early church abandoned set times of prayer. It was significant in their regular lives. How significant was it? It was so significant that Luke could even use it to tell time by. You know, we know what lunchtime is, right? We know what dinner time is, right? Pretty much in, in general terms. Well, what if prayer were such a regular feature of our lives and we were all committed to this kind of daily prayer, this kind of hourly, not hourly, but prayer at certain hours of the day? What if we were so committed that, that so characterized our life as a family of God that we could just say, well, at the time of prayer, you know, three in the afternoon, at the time of prayer, nine o'clock in the morning, at the time of prayer, noon, as David said in Psalm 55. What, what if we could mark time by such devotion on our part? I, I think it's pretty awesome. And, you know, note this. This particular miracle probably wouldn't happen that way if they hadn't been going to the temple at the time of prayer. I wonder how many miracles we might begin to see when we make it a regular part of our lives to meet with God in prayer at particular times through the day. Let's give God something to work with 
And then, you know, move on to Acts chapter 10. This is the story of Cornelius. Uh, Acts 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He's not a Jew. He's a Roman centurion. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. That is, he believed in the God of the Jews. He wanted to follow the God of the Jews without having converted to Judaism. That's why he's called a God-fearer. And he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, when at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. Go get Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, what got God's attention? You know, Cornelius' prayers and gifts to the poor. You know, that's a good reason to be a giver. It gets God's attention. But what we're looking at here is that this happened at the time of prayer, about 3 in the afternoon. And why is Cornelius praying at 3 in the afternoon? He's a Gentile, but he fears the God of the Jews, and he's trying to incorporate those, those practices of the Jewish people in his life, and it gets God's attention. So much so that God sends an angel to him, talking about interrupting the ordinary with the extraordinary. God sends an angel, and through the angel gives him instructions that leads to his family being the first Gentile converts. To the, to the church, the first Gentile followers of Jesus. Folks, this is not coincidental. It's not accidental. This is a pattern that God has given us in his word for the sake of bringing about extraordinary power. Ordinary prayer. Ordinary prayer leads to an angel, leads to their being the first Gentile converts. Now, who's going to be leading Cornelius to Jesus? Simon called Peter, Peter the apostle. But there's a problem because Peter does not yet know that the gospel is for the Gentiles. The only evidence he has is that the good news of Jesus is for the Jewish people. He's the Jewish Messiah. And he doesn't even know if it's right to go visit a Gentile in the Gentile's home. Peter had some impediments to being the one through whom the good news of Jesus would be proclaimed to Cornelius. He had some mindsets, some ways of thinking that prevented him from being a good candidate for that. So he needed some mental and even spiritual readjustment. Hmm, how's God going to do this with Peter? How, how is God going to give Peter such a radical revelation that now this gospel, this good news of Jesus... It's for the Gentiles. It's for all nations. That's going to take some radical doing. So we go to Acts chapter 10, verse 9. What do we read? About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, that is the, the people who were working with Cornelius were on their journey to go get Peter. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Luke just throws in noon just because, you know, he's just being descriptive. No, it is 
one of the times of prayer. You see this pattern. It's right there in Scripture. And so when God interrupted an ordinary time of prayer, he gave Peter a vision that says, man, I've made the Gentiles clean, and I want to bring them in. It's good. It's okay to preach the good news to the Gentiles. And as a result, Peter went with the men who had come from Cornelius. He proclaimed the good news to Cornelius' household, and they all became followers of Jesus Christ. And because of that, most of us here in this room have been deemed eligible to be members of the family of God through Jesus Christ. <laughs> but it, it took, you know, God breaking through an ordinary time for Peter to change that mentality. Now, I believe that God can change some of our ways of thinking during ordinary times of prayer. And we might not always see an angel. And we might not do something that is as significant as opening the door to all the Gentiles in the world. But I do believe this, that God, in your ordinary time, can visit you and give you an idea, a thought, an attitude adjustment that will help you reach your neighbor for Jesus, that will help you be a better father or mother, that will help you to be a better example of Jesus' character in somebody else's life. Ordinary prayer can put you in that spot. And this pattern is not just for Jewish believers like Peter or people who want to be Jewish like Cornelius was before he came to know Jesus. Paul says to the Gentiles in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, what does he say? Pray without ceasing. How can we possibly pray without ceasing? How can we constantly be in prayer? Well, you know, I've heard a lot of thoughts about how you just, you know, go through your day with an attitude of prayer. And I think that's a good idea. I don't think that's bad at all. But I really do believe after, you know, some of my study into this, some of my reading on this, that the best approach to putting this into practice, you know, praying without ceasing, as Scott McKnight said in his book that really opened my eyes to this, he says, praying without ceasing means to devote ourselves to the sacred rhythms of prayer. Being committed to a pattern like this reminds us, you know, that, that we belong to a people of God who have been praying like this for centuries now. And by the way, the early church adhered to this pattern for hundreds of years. Not until they became super political after Constantine did they quit doing this. Hundreds of years. This has worked for us. And I believe that God wants us to get back to that kind of sacred rhythm and we'll see more miracles as a result. Regular prayer. How do we do this? Well, right now we're making available to you that book on 21 days of prayer. And I want to encourage you, you know, if you got it last week, but you just haven't been applying yourself to it on a daily basis for the next 21 days or for maybe the next 14 days, make that a time of prayer. We have every man a warrior. And, you know, if you're a female and, uh, you can't get into an every man a warrior life group. Steal the book from somebody. You have permission to steal it. Buy it. Get it. 
and learn how to have a daily quiet time with the Lord. And I would love to say, everybody from here on out, three times a day, devotionals to the Lord. Uh, that'd be like those New Year's resolutions, you know, where you know, we go from doing nothing to now we're going to exercise in the gym twice a day. Ah. How long does that last, right? I don't want to do that to you or anybody in our church. How about this? Let's, let's start with one time a day. If we've not been faithful with regular devotionals, how about one time a day? Use that 21-day book. Use, if you've been through Every Man a Warrior, or if you get a hold of that book one guide, use the pattern of Every Man a Warrior to do your daily devotionals. You know, use the SOAP method and you can look that up online, just Google soap method of Bible study, something like that to help you have a time of prayer and devotion in the Word of God. Get my book, Teach Us to Pray, which gives you six weeks with five devotionals a week on, you know, how to pray the Lord's Prayer in a way that I believe will change your life. And, you know, go, go online, email us, write to us, let us know how we can help you. But we want to help you have this regular time of prayer. And, you know, if you're feeling stuck in your walk with God, think about this. M maybe you do need a mountaintop experience. Uh, I I've loved the fact that when I've been down sometimes in my walk with the Lord, down in my, my ministry, you know, just like God could give me a mountaintop experience. Hallelujah. I love those times. They could really be something like, uh, something like a defibrillator, you know, that shocks you back into right rhythm. I love it, but, but for some of us, maybe what we really need is to just learn how to have a healthy daily diet of God's Word and time with Him. And long term, that's going to help you even more than an occasional mountaintop experience. And here's what I believe. If you learn how to feed yourself daily, just the ordinary, everyday time with God, the mountaintop experiences are going to be even more frequent. And they'll have lasting impact because you've given God something to work with. And it's not new. You're not going to have a Daniel in the lion's den experience and, you know, in the moment have to learn how to trust God to shut the mouths of lions. It's part of a healthy walk with the Lord. And you'll see more of those miracles. This is, this is something for church people. And I don't really have the time right now to explain this. But I think we've got to, you know, while, we, while we're crying out for more of God, and we're crying out, God, show me your glory. God, I, I want you. I need you. I think we also have to be, be careful that we're not despising what God gives to us on a daily basis. We have to be careful because the people of Israel, they got to a point where they we're saying, God, give us meat to eat. Give us meat to eat. And they despise the manna that God was giving them every day. You know, we're, we, we might be crying out for meat sometimes when God's saying, my son, my daughter, I'm giving you bread from heaven every day. Take it. Eat it. Humble yourself before me and learn that you live by daily bread from me. I think God wants to do that. Now, I know that a set time like this, 
especially for us Americans and us spirit-filled, charismatic slash believers that, oh, set times? Surely the spirit goes beyond that and, and, and you know, we don't have to be concerned about set times. Uh, no, I, I think we have a strong biblical case that, you know, the early church adhered to set times. But here's the thing. Those set times do not mean that you have to give up spontaneity. You'll be ready for the spontaneous because you're disciplined. You'll be ready for the extraordinary because you're disciplined in the daily feeding of your soul through time with him and through the word of God. You're setting yourself up for more spontaneous and supernatural experiences. Four things I want to throw at you really quick. Number one, this is a benefit of regular times of prayer. Number one, know God's presence at all times because we know it at set times. It's going to help you. Number two, we're prepared for extraordinary times with God because we regularly have ordinary times with God. Number three, we're not, folks, this is very important for us who, you know, prioritize being spirit-led and just, you know, not being restrained or restricted. By having these set times and disciplining ourselves in this, we're not driven by our feelings and circumstances in our relationship with God. And number four, because this is a pattern that is being restored in the body of Christ worldwide, by the way, and because this is a pattern that the people of God followed for centuries before Christ came, they followed. I wonder where the disciples learned this pattern. I wonder if Jesus himself in his regular times of prayer demonstrated this pattern. We're reminded that we're a member of the family of God. This is not just me and God and me just doing my own thing with God. I'm doing something that really characterizes the spiritual life of the family of God. And I believe that'll help you. The ordinary put into the hands of God will become extraordinary in God's timing. Are you ready, church? Let's go with one time a day. One time a day. We'll help you build up. <laughs> Pray for me to build up to multiple times a day like that too. Three times a day would be ideal. Two times a day would be wonderful. What if we did it in the morning and a quick time in the evening as well? I believe God's going to help us to grow in that. Of course, you know, it's very important to know that our relationship with God does not hinge on fixed routines and set religious activities. Our relationship with God is firmly rooted in our faith walk with Jesus. Jesus is the one who enables us to experience God in a magnificent way that is also at the same time very ordinary. We can come into God's presence on a daily basis, multiple times a day, because Jesus made the way. And we can come boldly before God's throne of grace to obtain grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. But that confidence comes from Jesus. And if you've never received Christ into your heart, right now is the time to say yes to Jesus because, you know, it'll lead to what might not be just extraordinary spirituality right now, but it'll lead you to the table of God where you can have a meal with him. And if you'll make that a part of your daily life, 
God's got some wonderful, extraordinary things ahead for you. But it starts with just putting your faith in Jesus and trusting that he made the way for you to be in relationship with our Father in heaven. So just pray this prayer. We receive that, that benefit through faith in Jesus. So pray this prayer. Pray it out loud. If you're here in the room with me or you're watching online, maybe you prayed a prayer to receive Christ earlier in, in your life, but you've wandered from him. He's waiting for you to come back. So just pray this prayer and say yes to Jesus. Repeat after me, Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. I believe Jesus died. He was raised from the dead, and he is Lord. Forgive me of all my sins and be the Lord of my life. I give my life to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations on praying that prayer. If you prayed that prayer, it was the best decision of your life. You have a wonderful Wonderful walk with God ahead of you, and we would love to be a part of it. Let us know. Somebody's going to come right now and share with you some very important next steps. Again, thanks for being with us. God bless you, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Victory Church Podcast. If this message inspired you, feel free to share it with your friends, family, and social media. And make sure to subscribe to hear future messages from Victory Church. If you'd like to support the mission of Victory, please visit getvictory.net slash give. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.